this is a faithful saying, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15. Thanks for joining me today. This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Well, good morning and thank you again for joining me today. We're going to begin a new series in the book of Proverbs. So I am looking forward to that study with you very much. And if you have a Bible, please open to Proverbs chapter 1. That's where we're going to begin. We're going to talk about the introduction today. What I'd like to do is begin by just doing an overview of the book of Proverbs. And then as the series continues, break it down by its sections and different parts of the sections. There's a whole lot going on in Proverbs, and uh, I'm looking forward again to, to studying it with you. Just want to briefly let the folks know about our website who may be tuning in for the first time, leonvalleychurch.org. You can find a number of different resources there, some information about our meeting times or contact information if you're looking for that. Also, feel free to shoot us an email at leonvalleychurch at gmail.com. Well, let's just dive right in here with that overview that I spoke of a moment ago with the book of, of Proverbs, just to try and get a sense of what this book is really all about, what all is happening here. We're just going to get a bird's eye view of the book of Proverbs, and then we're going to go back and look at the first few verses in Proverbs chapter 1. So when we think of the word proverb, I think we typically in our minds conceive of maybe like a clever saying or just like a short one-liner, something that expresses a wisdom that's easily memorized. And it's true that this book has a lot of those, has a lot of those, and they're primarily found in the center section of the book in chapters 10 through 29. So there's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, and the vast majority of it, chapters 10 through 29, are composed of those proverbs, those kind of short one-liner sayings that we tend to think of when we maybe think of this book in particular or just proverbs in, in general or wise sayings in, in general. There's a lot of those. They're primarily found in the center section. But there's, there's like I said, a lot more going on. So what's happening in the rest of the book in those first nine chapters, for example? Uh, well, this book is designed with an introduction in chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 9, that I want to go back and look at in, in just a moment. But if you just consider the first verse here of Proverbs chapter 1, it immediately links this book with Solomon, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. And then the introduction continues. And so if we pause for uh, just a moment, we want to think about uh, Solomon and, and go back to 1 Kings chapter 3. Remember, that's where we find Solomon, the, the king, the, the person that this book is attributed to, at least most of this book anyway. They're not... Not everything was written by Solomon here, but in First Kings chapter three, we find Solomon there. Because he's now king in, in the historical context, and he's asking God for wisdom. He wants to rule wisely, and we remember that request that God honors in verse nine. Solomon says, "Give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours?" In verse ten, it was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And so God grants him his request, and he says, because you've asked this, you want wisdom, you want to rule righteously and, and rule with justice, you haven't asked for money and riches and things like this, I'm going to give you this wisdom, wisdom, and on top of that, I'm going to give you these other things as well. So God blesses Solomon with great wisdom, 
And Solomon becomes known as the wisest man in the ancient world. And if you look in the very next chapter, 1 Kings chapter 4, we can see that. Uh, you know, there's some record of in the opening chapter, beginning of the chapter there in chapter 4 of, of Solomon's uh, requirements and who were his deputies and who served under him. But if you drop down to verse 29, this is 1 Kings chapter 4, which is where we see Solomon is considered the wisest person in the ancient world. It says, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breadth of mind like the sand that is on the seashore. And Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the east and all the sons, uh, all the wisdom rather of, of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezraite and Heman and, and Calcol and Darda and the sons of Mahol. And his fame was known in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon, even to the hyssop that grows on the wall. And he spoke also of animals and birds and creeping things and fish. And men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. And so Solomon is kind of the beginning of, of Israel's wisdom tradition, we might say, if we're thinking in historical terms. But that wisdom originated with God, and, and Solomon was wise because God had bestowed that wisdom uh, upon him, and he, he became known as the wisest man. And we see here in this text, too, that he wrote thousands. He wrote thousands of proverbs and songs, and, and people just came from all over the place to hear him. Uh, but again, not all the material within the book of Proverbs uh, was written by him personally, uh, a big chunk of it's attributed to him, but not all of it. It was written by him personally, and we see in the introduction. He says in the introduction of this book that by reading this this book in its entirety, this collection of of proverbs and sayings, we can gain wisdom. And that's another word I want to think about with you for just a moment. Wisdom. We so we thought about proverb and defined it, and now wisdom. What is wisdom? What do we think of? When we hear that word, I think most folks typically typically conceive of wisdom as something akin to knowledge or some kind of mental activity. Uh, and, but in Hebrew, uh, the word involved a whole lot more than that. It, it entailed action also, and not just in this book in particular, but all throughout Scripture. We see biblical wisdom has this component of uh, conduct and that wisdom ultimately manifests itself in what somebody does. Does not just in what they think or what they may say, uh, but in what they do and how they how they live their lives. And just take a look at James chapter three with me for an example of that. So this here we're going to the New Testament now, James chapter three, and we're going to see where where James has this same idea of wisdom being associated with uh, conduct with behavior. He asked the question. This is verse thirteen of James chapter three. James 3.13, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and lie against the truth. And he speaks of two kinds of wisdom in the context. We won't read further, but James goes on to speak of wisdom that is earthly and demonic and, and natural and that it manifests itself in uh, selfishness, as we just saw there, and arrogance and pride. And then there's the wisdom that is from above that he's describing, or that he begins to describe it in verse 13, and he expounds upon in the context. He says that this that real wisdom manifests itself uh, in good behavior, in, in gentleness. 
And so here we see against biblically an example in the New Testament where this where wisdom is associated with is connected with inseparably one's conduct. And so we should think of it as uh, applied knowledge or or an applied skill. You know, it's it's interesting that the that the craftsmen in Exodus 31, I think this will give us some more insight too that the that the craftsmen chosen in Exodus 31 there the men who were going to build all the components to the tabernacle and all the trappings with that and, and the utensils and the candlesticks and holders and, and things like this, they are said to have uh, wisdom. And the Hebrew word is chokmah. But they're said to have this chokmah or this wisdom, and, and they we can see in the text that they apply their knowledge, and it, again, manifests itself in action. Now, in, in this particular case, it's with regard to building things and constructing the tabernacle and all, the, all those things associated with it. But the idea throughout it that's put forth there and in the book of Proverbs is that we can gain knowledge to apply in life so that we can construct a life or, or live a life that well and, and successful and most importantly a live, and live in a way that pleases God, that honors God. And that's why gaining wisdom and knowledge is immediately connected with the fear of the Lord in the introduction. And that's the idea that we're going to single out today uh, as we move forward uh, past this overview. But uh, let me just say briefly that the fear of the Lord, we're not talking about terror when we talk about fearing God, um, but rather the Bible uses that phrase, that expression, fear of the Lord, as a moral mindset, as a, as a moral mindset that that has a a strong reverence for God that recognizes his position in the universe his authority God's majesty and his knowledge and his his wisdom and and it's a mindset it's a reverence that should grow stronger over time it's about understanding who God is more and more and and my place in his universe more and more and and developing that mindset again that recognizes I'm not God I don't get to make up my own definitions of good and evil and right and wrong uh, because if I did that I would botch it and I have severely botched it everybody has but we have to humble ourselves before God embrace his definition of right and wrong even when it's inconvenient and uncomfortable for us and so that carries us into the first main section of the of the book after that introduction that speaks of the wisdom and the proverbs and the fear of the Lord being the beginning of, of all of that. That carries us into the first main section of the book of Proverbs, chapters 1 through 9. And these first chapters also, they don't contain those short one-liner sayings that we typically think of when we hear proverb or we open proverbs usually. We, we tend to think of, um, again, those short little sayings, but this actually, chapters 1 through 9, this section is actually filled with a series of 10 speeches from a father to a son. And the father is imploring his son to listen to wisdom and cultivate the fear of the Lord in his heart and, and live a life, again, that honors God, which will bring about success for him and, and peace for him. And the father is warning his son we see in these texts that you know, dumb decisions are just going to breed all sorts of problems in your life, and it's eventually going to ruin you physically and spiritually. Um, you'll be selfish and prideful, and those things will take root and take a hold and just grow, and they're going to be destructive to you. And so he's admonishing his son, encouraging his son to, to pursue wisdom, make that his lifelong pursuit to chase wisdom and, and knowledge, the fear of the Lord his entire, entire life. And in this section, too, 
in chapter 1 and chapter 3 and then in chapters 8 and 9, there's a second voice that comes through in, in the text, and that is Lady Wisdom. And so the, the writer uh, begins to speak of wisdom as a woman. He per- personifies wisdom as a woman who's walking throughout the streets, and, he, and she's, she's calling out to all of humanity to pay attention to her and to seek her. And so there's these, there, there's these four poems kind of interwoven with these ten speeches um, with the father to his son, uh, and these four poems are from Lady Wisdom, all of which remind us uh, that we are part, again, of a, of a moral universe, and that goodness and, and justice, these things are objective realities created by God. And if we're going to ignore them, we do that at our own peril. And there's people all around us making terrible decisions, ruining their lives, uh, who are self-destructing. And wisdom is, is saying, if you'll just listen to me and apply me to your life, and get wisdom personified, and, uh, and apply the justice of God and, and the fear of the Lord, then we can find success in life, not necessarily physically, and we're going to talk about that, but certainly spiritually. So these speeches from a father and lady wisdom, they're reminding us that we're not just reading good advice here. This isn't just sound advice, uh, you know, helpful hints for living or whatever, but this is God's own wisdom on the pages of Scripture. And then that section leads us into that big portion that I mentioned earlier, just a moment ago, chapters 10 through 29, where we find hundreds and hundreds of Proverbs that manifest God's wisdom. They're filled with God's wisdom about every facet of life, from family to work, friendship, sex, marriage, money, anger, forgiveness, character, alcohol, debt, everything. We find Proverbs about everything. And all of those things, all of those sayings build upon the values established in chapters 1 through 9. So they're all pretty short, and they're meant to be memorized. It's like a, it's like a reference work that people can go back to and should go back to and, and read these things and remind themselves of the wisdom of God. Uh, and so the, uh, one of the things that we need to remind, uh, remind ourselves, though, off, right off the bat and, and, re- and think about when we read Proverbs is that they, we're dealing with uh, probabilities, we're dealing with probabilities. So Proverbs are, are generalizations, by and large, uh, that, for example, Proverbs 10.27, the fear of the Lord prolongs your life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. So fearing the Lord and making the good decisions rooted in God's wisdom will lead to things going well for, for us physically, generally speaking, but, but also uh, spiritually, to be sure. Uh, and, that, and it's true spiritually without fail, and it's generally true also of physical things. And the inverse is also true. If you don't fear the Lord and you make foolish decisions and selfish decisions, then things will likely go very bad for you. And that's all of that's often true, but not, not, not always. And Proverbs 10.27 is an example of that because we can find in the book of Psalms and in other passages as, as, as well where those who are godly, their life was cut short. And it was the wicked who prospered. And that's one of the things that the psalmist actually wrestles with, right? He sees the prosperity of, of the wicked, and he's confused by that. And that's really a study for another time. But I just mentioned that to illustrate um, the probability uh, nature of, of the Proverbs. Another example is Proverbs 22 and, and verse 6, right? Chain, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't turn from it. That's Proverbs 22, 6. 
Uh, so fearing God and being a moral person, again, will most likely lead to a better, longer life. And, and, and raising your kids and the discipline and instruction of the Lord does increase the likelihood that they will obey the gospel. But none of those things are guarantees. None of those things are guarantees. There's, there's many things that can and do uh, go wrong in this life, and there are things that are beyond our control. So the Proverbs, by nature, focus on the general rule and, and not the exceptions of which there are many, right? But the other wisdom books that maybe we'll get around to studying after the book of Proverbs, the other wisdom books, Ecclesiastes and Job, they're all about the exceptions, right? Why, why bad things happen to, to good people? Why the righteous? Why, why is their life cut short? And, uh, you know, the, those books kind of form the, the comprehensive picture. They deal with those exceptions, but all the wisdom books together give us the most comprehensive uh, view of, of life. And then all this leads to the final section of the book of Proverbs, uh, 31 and 32. They're last last two chapters, but they're a two large collection of poems. And they're poems from a man, the first part anyway, is a poem from a man named Agor. And he begins his poem, this section, by acknowledging his own ignorance, his own folly, and his great need for God's wisdom. And then Agor discovers in, in, in this in this section that that divine wisdom it's it's been delivered to him and it's and it's in the form of the scriptures which teach him how and teach all of us how to live well and so agar is is put before us at the end of this book as kind of a model he's a model reader of the book of proverbs of of a reader of scripture somebody who's always open to hearing god's wisdom who is seeking god's wisdom through the bible and then lastly the last poem, the final poems are connected with another man whose name is Lemuel. And Lemuel is a non-Israelite king, and he passes on the wisdom that was given to him by his mom. And so there's this kind of uh, symmetry to, to the book. Uh, Lemuel is, is talking about, again, wisdom from his mom, and, and, and she is giving him guidance for being a wise and just ruler. And the last, the very last poem from Lemuel is is an acrostic or alphabet poem, kind of like Psalm one nineteen, where each line begins with a new letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and that whole poem is about a woman of noble character in Proverbs thirty one, and it's depicting a woman who lives according to the wisdom of Proverbs, and she is also put before us like a model of someone who takes God's wisdom, and then translate it translates it practically into her life and 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 making just and good decisions. Every day, whether she's at work or at home and her family and her community, uh, the wisdom of God can be seen in her life and in her, her character. And I say that there's this kind of symmetry to the, to the book because it begins, the book of Proverbs opens with that series of speeches from a father to a son and listening to, to Lady Wisdom. And then the book closes and ends with the words of a mother to her son about a woman who lives wisely. And so the book of Proverbs is, is for every person in every season of life. Wherever we find ourselves, it's, it's a, it is our guide for living wisely, living a life that is pleasing to God in His world and, and the fear of the Lord. So I want to take the last few minutes of our time together to talk about that idea we see Throughout the book of Proverbs, really, but uh, especially in the introduction here of Proverbs 1. So let's go back now to Proverbs chapter 1, and I'm going to begin reading in, in verse 1. Again, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, 
to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. And so that's the introduction to uh, the, the book of Proverbs. And, and again, that, that key idea of fearing the Lord, Solomon singles out, is the beginning is the beginning of knowledge. And we see that again in chapter 9 and again at the end of the book in chapter 31. And so that's the, kind of a thematic statement we see that if it appears like that in the beginning, the middle, the end of the book, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In chapter 9, the writer says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And so when we understand that the Lord Again, it's holy and supreme in every way because right, we're talking about a mindset going back to that point we made earlier in our program that we're not talking about fear in the sense of terror or dread, but we're talking about a mindset of, of reverence that recognizes and understands God is holy and supreme in every way and that no amount of strength or knowledge or education can compare with the value of knowing Him and revering Him and humbling ourselves before Him. All other voices offering counsel begin to diminish. And this is the beginning place of real wisdom, of, of real knowledge that, that matters. Proverbs teaches that the fear of the Lord also is not just the starting point in our pursuit of wisdom, but it's also the finish line, interestingly enough. If you just turn one page over to chapter 2 and just read the first five verses there and give you an example of what I'm talking about here. So in one of the speeches of the father to his son, he says, "'My son, if you will receive my words,' And treasure my commandments within you. Make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Now, I say that, that it's the that the fear of the Lord is not only the starting point, but it's also the finish line, because here the the fear of the Lord lies at the beginning and the end of this passionate search for wisdom, right? Uh, you, you search for it as for, for treasure, and you, you, and you store my words up in you. You apply to your heart this understanding. You cry out for discernment, right? This is someone who's passionately pursuing and searching for, for real, real wisdom. And the writer is saying that in, in the end, the more you come to know God, the more wisdom that you have in your pursuit of it you, that you discover, the greater your knowledge of God is, and so the greater your fear for God will be. You will understand the fear of the Lord. And I think we should read there more and more is the, the idea. We will understand the fear of the Lord um, more and more and in greater depth and find the knowledge of God. And I want to spend again just a, a couple of moments thinking about what the fear of the Lord causes us to do as we look throughout the, the book of Proverbs. You know, sin begins to have a growing repugnancy, I think, to us. As we grow in our knowledge of God and of His His will and our fear for Him, you know, anything that is contrary to Him and His will has a growing repugnancy. We begin to, we, we do grow more sensitive, I think, to, to sin. 
Uh, Proverbs 8.13 says, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. Now we see that again in, in chapter 3 and verse 7, chapter 14 and verse 16, and, and chapter 16 and verse 6. So in a sinful world, I think it's easy to be desensitized to, to sin and to the effects of sin. I think of it as, as no big deal, but when we are immersed in the Scriptures and we are immersed in the wisdom of God and we're adopting His perspective and we're conforming our minds to His perspective, we're taking on that mindset right, of reverence for Him and we adopt His view of sin into our hearts, we begin, I think, to understand and appreciate the pain and the horror of evil, of sin, of, of all evil. Paul said in Romans 12, 9, that we are to abhor or to hate what is evil and to cling to what is good. An unjust man is abominable to the righteous, and he who is upright in the way is abominable to the wicked. That's Proverbs 29 and verse 27. And so one of the consequences of you know, one of the necessary outcomes of, of developing this fear of, of God, reverence for God, is we will depart from evil, we'll shun Evil will want to live with integrity. That's another point that the, the writer makes, that the fear of the Lord drives us not only to, sh- to shun evil, but to really embrace integrity. Whoever walks in uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his ways despises him. The writer says, this is pro- that was Proverbs 14 and verse 2, whoever walks in uprightness fears the Lord. Your Bible might say, whoever walks in integrity fears the Lord. So there's this there's two sides of the same coin here. We're not, at the same time, we're shunning evil, we're departing from evil, but we're also striving to walk in integrity. We're taking the initiative to be righteous, to be honest, to be transparent, uh, to be uh, a people of noble character that God desires. And when our and when our greatest concern, when our greatest concern is what God knows about us and what He sees in us, and that He knows all, and that everything is laid bare before Him, there's no place for a secret life. There's no place for a secret life. We we are forced to walk really in in, in integrity, we'll, and we'll willingly want to choose that because it'll always be present within our minds that the fear of of the Lord, knowing again that He is holy, that He despises sin, and we don't want any part of that. We want to be holy as He is holy. We want to walk in uprightness, and we'll live confidently, I think, as as a result also. That's another component, I think, another consequence, I should say, of fearing God. You know, when we live our life with the knowledge and by the knowledge of of God as holy and, and just and all-powerful and, and almighty, the things that I think would uh, tend to engender fear within us or scare us, you know, the monsters of this world, I think, lose their fangs because the worst things that people can do that just don't measure up to God's power. Uh, so we can live our life with with confidence and, and in safety. I think Joseph is a great example of that in Genesis, the latter part of, of the book of Genesis, and all the terrible things that, that happened to him, throwing, being thrown in jail, well, first of all, being sold into slavery by his own brothers, and then being hauled off to Egypt to have some glimmer of hope and and. Building, a, carving out a life for himself, and as a as the head servant, really, or, or slave in a household, and then being thrown into jail because he's falsely accused, and then going from being a, a, a prisoner and a slave to uh, the most exalted person in Egypt, second only to Pharaoh, second only to to the king, 
And we see in that story uh, uh, a man who is constantly striving to live his life with integrity in the fear of the Lord. And he's uh, at the end of his life, when he comes face to face with his brothers again, he he sees in, in retrospect that uh, God intended all of that for good, that they intended to harm him, but God was working through all of that and intended it for his good ultimately and for the good of his people that would eventually come, Joseph's posterity and, of course, all that of all his brothers as well. And so we can look at stories like that we can and others, and we can see how living with in the fear of, of God and, and, and prioritizing his will above our own leads to uh, this, this confidence and, and living confidently. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and his children will have refuge. And again, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may avoid the snares of death. That's Proverbs 14, 26, and 27. And that appears in a number of other places as well. And we'll be blessed as, as a result. Ultimately, the blessings that come from setting our moral compass and, and aligning it with, with God's, you know, it far outweighs the perks of wealth and, and pleasure. The writer says in Proverbs 15 that better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. And so when we live in the fear of the Lord, even if we have only a little, as the writer says, speaking of monetary wealth or, or physical resources, that it is, it, it's still living with the fear of the Lord charts a course to lasting satisfaction, regardless of physical circumstances. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction, Proverbs 19.23. And so we find safe harbor and satisfaction in the praise of the one who really matters, knowing that we are one with him in purpose and that we are humbly submitting to him in integrity and we're confident and we're shunning evil uh, because his praise is the only one that really matters, as we find it in Scripture. Proverbs 31 and verse 30, this is how the, the book ends. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, there's that idea again, a woman who fears the Lord... She will be praised. She will be praised. I've enjoyed studying with you this, this morning. I'd love to see you at Bible class at 9.30 sometime on Sunday morning or at 10.30 for worship or 6 p.m. if you can make it for our evening service on Sunday night. I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings.